Let's go ahead and open to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. We're just at the end portion in verse 38, and we'll pick it up there this morning. Chapter 10, verse 38. And let's read it together. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, oh Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Whenever I look at a new text for a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, I usually spend quite a long time just reading it to myself. And next to me, I'll have a a pad of paper and I'll write down observations that just jump out at me as I'm reading the text, usually uh, encompassed in single words. The very first thing I wrote when I was looking at this text this, this week was the word Martha. She is truly the center of all that's happening here. And then I were used, I saw the word distracted. And that word distracted was defined by anxiousness and worry. And then we had Mary, who says nothing, but yet is absolutely the chosen of the two in the proper position that we find her in within our text. This small portion of Scripture deals with so many issues for us to look at this morning. I don't know if we'll have time to look at them all. But as Jesus is now continuing in his way from the region of Galilee, we are getting step by step closer to Jerusalem. There at Jerusalem, of course, he will will be met by an arrest. He will be turned against. He will be tortured. He will be judged and he will be crucified. But it appears that on his way just east of the city of Jerusalem is a small town called Bethany. There in Bethany are two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Lazarus is found in John 11. Of course, he's the one who died and that Jesus therefore then responded to the news of his death by delaying his coming to assure his death and to also to assure the fact that those there that day would see that he is the resurrection and the life, John 11. We see uh, Mary once again worshiping the Lord by anointing his feet in John 12. Jesus undoubtedly had a very intimate, dear relationship with these three. And in this particular case, as he's making his way to Jerusalem, he now stops and As he stops, he appears to not only stop to have something to eat and be tended to, but also to teach. 
And here we find that two sisters take very opposite approaches to the arrival of Jesus. We have Martha, who seems to be the older of the two. She is consumed with the duties of the home, which would have been her responsibility, not only in that culture as being the oldest daughter, but because in that culture it was uh, the portion of the woman of the home to tend to the preparing of the meals and setting of the the uh, supper and so forth. And it was a high esteem for her to be known to be hospitable. That being said, Martha seems to be overwhelmed by the responsibilities in which she is carrying. And as a result, she begins to become critical of her sister who appears to be doing something that was incredibly inappropriate in that culture to do, and that was to sit at the feet of Jesus as one of his disciples would, to simply listen to what he had to say and to be taught. Martha asks, of course, the Lord to correct her, but the Lord does not. Speaking to Martha in a very endearing tone, that's the reason for the double uh, mention of her name here. Martha, oh dear one, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The second is the word distraction. The word distraction there in the Greek is very, very significant. It means being pulled or dragged away from something that is so superiorly important that you are missing out on the moment due to the distraction that is there in your mind and in your heart. That distraction undoubtedly is found here as being the overwhelming amount of uh, household chores that she felt compelled to provide. In many service, Martha was distracted from what was actually taking place. And this distraction, her being pulled away from what was important, dragged away from what is important, led to anxiety and trouble in her own mind. There are often times where you and I will be found in a position that anxiety due to distraction will cause us to miss the most important part of the moment that we find ourselves in. I can remember numerous times that I allowed a distraction such as this to cause me to miss such an important moment with the Lord. When I got saved at 16 years old, I was a teenager. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I didn't have any Christian friends at that time. I was dating a young lady who's father led me to Christ. And in 1988, my pastor invited me to come with him. Now, I was only just turning 20 years old at that time to a pastor's conference in California. It was the first time ever going out to see Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa and Pastor Chuck Smith and all the incredible teachers that were out there. It was a highlight of my year. 
and it's truly a highlight of my Christian life. However, though, for some reason, I believe that the plane was going to crash on the way to California. And this was it. This was going to be it. You know, the Lord saved me, and then before I could backslide, he takes me home. You know, uh, that was it. He was just going to take me home. And I was convinced, and I was up at night pacing. I, I uh, was worried about it. I shared it with my pastor and so forth. Fear had just overwhelmingly uh, took my heart and took my mind, and I was so distracted from the potential blessings of going to this conference with all the guys that I was just eaten up inside about it. I was flying with a gentleman that I had never met before, but he was a dear friend of one of the assistant pastors there at Calvary Chapel of Elk Grove. And I met him at the airport, and we were sitting waiting to board our flight there in the gate area. And I could tell there was something on his mind. And I didn't want to ask because I didn't know him that well, but, you know, me being the tactful 19-year-old at that time, I I say, you know, you don't look so good. He goes, yeah, you know, I, I didn't want to say anything to you because I didn't want to scare you, but I just, I just feel like this plane's going to crash on its way to California. I was like, oh, great. We're both going down. And now we're debating, should we go? Shouldn't we go? Should we go? Shouldn't we go? And finally, he just said to me, he goes, you know what? We can't do anything about it. If the Lord wants to take us home, he's going to take us home. So we got on the airplane and we started making our way across the United States. And, you know, I had just kind of given it to the Lord and I was talking to the people in the general area and I was trading portions of my meal for their carrot cake. I think I ended up with six pieces of carrot cake by the time. And we got all the way to California and I was just like, oh, you know, silly. I let this thing get way out of hand. We're going to be okay. And we're flying into John Wayne Airport. It was a small airport back then. And as we were approaching John Wayne Airport, all of a sudden the ground's getting closer and closer and closer. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a nice smooth landing. And so the pilot is coming on in for the landing. And then all of a sudden he just hits the engines and the plane goes straight up into the air. I'm like, really, Lord, you brought us all the way this far? You know, it couldn't have happened 90 minutes ago, you know, or right outside of Chicago. You're going to take us home now. He flies over the ocean and he dumps all of his fuel. I'm like, great, we are going home, you know. So I ate the carrot cake as fast as I possibly could to get one more last enjoyment of this life. And... Then he gets on the, on the uh, intercom and he says that the front landing gear won't go down and they were preparing the runway for a belly landing, foaming it at that time. And uh, I, just, you know, I just said to the Lord, I said to him, you know, Lord, that's it. I can't do anything about this. If this plane is going to crash, I'm not going to stand before you and you look at me and say, what are you doing here? Well, it was the pilot's time, so I guess it's my time too, you know. It doesn't matter what I do, Lord. I can't fight against you, Lord. So instead of worrying, instead of fearing, instead of uh, getting all worked up about this and all anxious about it, Father, I just commit my life into your hands. 
And as we made the approach into John Wayne Airport the second time, all of a sudden we heard the front landing gear go down. And we just rolled right into it. It was in that moment of distraction that the Lord was posing a question within my mind and in my heart. He says, are you going to trust me? I went then to a conference that changed my life as a young man. Sitting there and listening to the teaching of the Bible. Hearing Pastor Chuck and the the others after him, one right after another. It was an incredible meeting with the Lord that I really believe now that Satan was trying to keep me from. I came back and my whole life had changed after that. A Bible study started in my dad's garage and next thing I know I had 30 of my friends who didn't know the Lord that were coming. God was doing a great work, but that distraction, that fear could have kept me off that plane. It could have kept me from that moment with God that He had so appointed me to experience and to have with Him. If I would have let the fear and the anxiety and the worry overcome my heart and my mind. And it did to a large portion. It did. It was by the grace of God that I believe that I put my foot in that airplane. Because everything in my body was telling me not to. I was that afraid. But I would have missed the moment if I wouldn't have gotten on that plane. Martha missed the moment. She was distracted with all of her personal responsibilities. Preparing the meal, setting the meal before Jesus and his disciples. And in all of this service, as he states here very clearly, as they went and they entered the village, Martha welcomed him into her home. This is why I believe she was the eldest of the sisters, because Luke says it was her house. And she said, and she had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Her distraction had become so overwhelming to her that she became critical of others, including her sister, who was simply listening and sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to what he had to say and the teaching in which he was giving. Spending time with him in a devotional position before him. It seemed to irk Mary. Well, wait a minute. How come this is all falling on me? You know, I I have to prepare this big spread because you and the disciples all of a sudden decided to stop by. And, you know, and so I'm not just going to put out just old anything. You are God, you know. So let me put out the best I can possibly be. And oh, by the way, I'm doing it by myself. Don't you see? You can hear it, can't you? My grandma used to love to have us over for breakfast on Saturday mornings. My dad would drive us over to my grandma's house in the morning on Saturdays. And she would have a breakfast waiting for us each and every Saturday. And I, and I think, you know, it was her way of showing love to us. The only problem was is that my sister and I could never finish the two dozen eggs that she prepared, the three or four loaves of French toast that she would prepare, 
you know, plus the uh, gallon and a half of oatmeal that she would prepare, and and so forth. And yet the table was just full. I mean, she could have she could have fed half of Chicago, you know. And then we would sit down, and then we would start eating. And you know, of course, being little kids, we could only eat so much, you know. And because we left, you know, two dozen eggs, and we left three or three and a half loaves of French toast, and so forth, she goes. What, you guys aren't hungry? I've been preparing all morning for you guys. And of course, your grandfather didn't help at all. He just sat there while I did all of this. And, you know, we're just sitting there, you know, my sister and I. You know, what are we supposed to do? I mean, oh my goodness, there's enough here to feed an army. But Martha had allowed her distractions to cloud her vision. And her vision therefore wasn't able to perceive that the best thing that she could have done at that moment, due to the fact that undoubtedly it was getting close, we're about six months away now from the crucifixion. But Martha, so wrapped up in everything else, missed this moment with Jesus to the point where Jesus himself says to her, for anxiety and trouble are all about you. And by many things, these things have caused you anxiety and trouble. Martha was amazed that she was not given the priority of having Mary corrected by Jesus. But yet Jesus says here, but this one thing is necessary. There's a relationship between devotion and motion that must always be kept in balance. I have met so many Christians that are doing so much for God that they rarely spend time with the Lord in a devotional manner and therefore often become critical of everybody else in the church because they don't seem to be serving the Lord as they are serving the Lord. When you are properly in balance between devotion and motion, you will have an understanding that you are serving God actually and not actually the people. When I come here on Sunday mornings, believe it or not, and I hope this doesn't offend you, but my primary goal is not to serve you. It's to serve the Lord. And in my service of the Lord, I therefore serve you. But He is the priority. Therefore, in the teaching of the Word of God, I will not simply tell you what you want to hear. That would be serving you. But I'll tell you what you need to hear. And that begins by my Uh, my obligation to serve him first. So if you are busy with all kinds of things and you find yourself that you are critical of everyone else around you because they're not pulling their weight and they're not doing it and they're not... Wait a minute, let's take a step back. Are you serving them? Or are you serving the Lord? And if you're serving the Lord, are you spending time with the Lord each and every day in a devotional manner to remind you of the simple fact that you're serving Him first and foremost in everything that you do? When they come up to lead us in worship, I would hope that their mindset is that we're serving the Lord and by doing this, by serving Him in this manner, then I'm serving the congregation and allowing them to worship the Lord. As they become invisible... The best worship leaders that I've ever heard were the ones that became invisible. And you just were in the presence of God. 
before, before the Lord. You know, it's very concerning to me when we celebrate the worship leader rather than the one in whom we are worshiping. I think that's a concern. I think it's a concern when we celebrate the pastor. I literally pray that it will not be my words, but his words that come forward in the teaching of God's word. Because we need to hear from him, don't we? I'm just his instrument. I'm just the vehicle in which he uses. You, you don't want my opinion. You want his wisdom, don't you? Of course you do. And through the teaching of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, that is the true essence of it all. Now, that doesn't happen apart from a strong devotional life. A devotional life for the Christian is the foundation of the health of the Christian. Prayer and the Word of God spent daily within, in the life of the individual believer, that's where it all happens. Devotions are not an option for the believer, it's a necessity. Taking a part of your day, whatever part of that day may be, some of you may be morning people, some of you may be evening people, whatever it is, spending time with God daily in prayer and in His Word, praying beforehand to prepare your mind and heart to receive His Word, then reading the Word of God with you and the Lord there, allowing the Spirit of God to speak to your heart through the Word of God, then praying afterwards to make sure you receive all that you need to receive. You therefore will then be in a position to better serve the people around you. And in the case of Martha, she was unbalanced. It was all motion and no devotion. It was going through the actions and serving the Lord in such a way where she was serving out of the flesh, out of her own self, rather than serving from the the uh, living water that the Spirit provides that is a con- constant flow of ability. And in it, she became critical. She became critical of her own sister, which many do. Now, there are those Christians, unfortunately, that are on the other side of the spectrum. And though I don't believe that Mary is an example of this, but I must mention this for the sake of our text. I believe that there are many who are constantly uh, accumulating intellectual knowledge about, about God, but never applying it in any way, shape, or form to be a blessing to the body of Christ. See, I believe that God has saved each and every one of us for a purpose. That purpose is serving or edifying the body of Christ. That we are all individual members of a body, Christ being the head. We are the body here on earth fulfilling the ministry, the service in which he started in the book of Acts and now is concluding through his church here on this earth. Every one of us plays a role. None of us are meant to sit on the bench while others participate. I don't believe that there are even simply spectators who just simply watch the redemptive drama unfold before them and they just cheer on those in whom they support. I believe that every single one of you has been given gifts and talents by the Lord to be used within the edification of the body of Christ and simply, if you are not exercising those things, you're missing out on one of the greatest dynamics of your Christian life. And that is serving others 
as the member of the body that God has called you to be. Secondly, I believe that you are stifling what God wants to do in and through you. Every single one of us has a role to play that God has raised us up for. And it's not based on your own personal abilities. It's not based on the way you feel that you are wired and therefore you shall proceed in that same identical manner. It's not necessarily indicated by what you were good at before you became a Christian because God's in the rewiring business and he likes to use people that are completely incapable physically of doing what he has asked. Therefore, when they are successful, they know it's him and not them. But let me say this to you. All of us are part of this body and all of us play a role. So to simply come and to consume is the other end of the spectrum that's equally incorrect as one who is going through the motion without any devotion unto God. That being said, this morning we find that Martha now is being confronted by the Lord and corrected by Him. And notice what He says to her. I think this is very important. Her distraction which is the much serving, her personal responsibilities overshadowing the moment and her, lose, her personally losing this opportunity, has manifested itself in anxiousness and in trouble. This is how she feels. At some point, I am going to be addressing the issues that we face today in the issues of mental illness. Mental illness is something that is a prevalent part within our nation today. It plays a large role in the life of many believers in Jesus Christ. And I want to address it because often I believe that we could rely further on the Spirit to overcome some of the anxieties and difficulties that we are personally facing. Now, I am not saying that as a medical doctor or a psychologist. I'm saying that as a pastor who believes in what I call the sufficiency of the Word of God. I don't believe the Word of God asks us to do anything that it doesn't give us the capability of doing. And through the Spirit of God, we have the ability to exercise self-control. And therefore, when we are challenged by fear, by worry, by anxiety, we can confront these things, even depression and despair, with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Now, I am not negating the place and the purposes for, you know, those who have and struggle with mental illness, but I am saying to those here today that please don't sell God short. Don't believe that he is incapable of helping you overcome these things because he is. And I'm going to show you and demonstrate to you why I believe that in just a moment. But notice that her anxiety and her trouble were all due to the fact that her priorities were off and that she was distracted, pulled away, 
and she was dragged away by something that was less important than the moment at hand. And as a result, she experienced anxiety and worry. The word trouble there means worry. And Jesus calls this out himself. Let us understand that Jesus saw undoubtedly her reactions and actions amongst the people there in the home. And though these things were necessary, she allowed them to become a burden to her, and she became overwhelmed by them, and as a result, she became anxious and troubled about many things, he says. But he shares with her, but one thing is necessary. Scholars debate in that phrase if he is simply referring to the fact that, no, Martha, now is the time that you would just stop and listen to what I have to say. I want you too to sit at my feet because in six months I'm going to be taken to the cross. This is a moment and opportunity that is passing and you don't want to miss it. But it could also indicate the fact that Jesus was saying, Not everything that you have put your hand to is necessary at this moment. Something more simple would have been uh, simply uh, satisfactory and nothing more is needed and therefore you are becoming overwhelmed unnecessary. And how often do we do that to ourselves? We have the distraction. That distraction pulls us away from what is important. We then become anxious and worried about Uh, the fact that things aren't going the way we anticipated and wanted them to go, and as a result, we miss out on the moment that God would have for us. I believe that a Christian who sustains themselves in a strong devotional life in Christ, that devotional life is the true practical outplaying of what Jesus Uh, stated in John's Gospel, chapter 15, the abiding relationship. Today, people have grave difficulties obtaining and maintaining personal relationships with other people. Oh, they can do so very adequately through social media, but when it comes to one-on-one conversation, many people struggle today. Many people struggle getting together one-on-one with somebody, though they may have 500 friends on Facebook and 10,000 followers on Instagram or whatever it means. It doesn't mean that they have somebody personally that they can call and just sit down with and get into some deep stuff with and just, you know, benefit from the relationship in which they had. Many today struggle and say, I don't know how to have those relationships anymore. And as a result, I've discovered that same difficulty that they have with people is translated into their relationship with the Lord. I don't know how to have that intimate relationship with the Lord, they'll say to me. I don't know what that means to abide in Christ. He's physically not here for me to uh, walk with physically and interact with physically. How do I abide? You abide by prayer. You abide by the Word of God. By sitting at His feet metaphorically as we sit there and just alone with the Lord and let the Spirit speak to our hearts and cultivate that relationship with Him. That's what the apostles did. That's what the early followers in Jesus Christ did after His ascension. But if we're going to neglect our devotional time with the Lord, we are truly neglecting 
the place where we cultivate that deep and intimate relationship with the Lord. And therefore, when fear and anxiety and distraction come, we are ill-prepared. We are ill-equipped for these things. And often, these things manifest itself in anxiety and in worry and so forth. And so many, like Martha themselves, find themselves before the Lord. And he's saying, why be anxious? That's the way it comes out in the Greek. Why be troubled about so many things? Oh, but Martha, just one thing is necessary. Just stop. Just sit. Just listen. Let me pour into you, the Lord is saying. Let me fill you from the inside out. You know, there is nothing more difficult than trying to fulfill your personal responsibilities when you got nothing left in the gas tank, right? When you're emotionally, mentally, physically exhausted. And for Christians, that often comes when we're spiritually exhausted because we haven't been tending to our relationship with God. Day by day. No, do I say this, that we do this to get saved? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying to cultivate a relationship with the living God. He has made access to Him possible through Jesus Christ. We just now have to enter into His presence. And we do so by prayer. Now, I think it's very interesting that after this text in Luke's Gospel, the disciples ask Him the question in chapter 11, teach us how to pray. Coincidence? Or is the Holy Spirit leading the conversation in that direction? He's saying to Martha, why why be so anxious? Why succumb to your distractions? And we're all going to have personal responsibilities that could become distractions, couldn't they? If we don't prioritize properly. Then they become distractions very quickly and often keep us from the moment that God would have for us. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And I want to read this to you. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Starting in verse 25. Again, these are the teachings of Jesus Christ directly. And he talks about the distractions of, this, of the cares for this world. He's discussing that there are things that are going to try to draw you away from your relationship with God that are going to present themselves to you as the cares of this world. The necessities of this world are often going to fight for that attention. And so... Jesus knew that his disciples needed to understand and to know that they can't serve him and be overwhelmed and consumed by all the cares of this world, which he therefore uh, summarizes by saying all that we're going to eat and clothed with and sheltered with, etc. The basic needs of the human body. But notice what he says here. He says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your 
life. Let me ask you a question before we go any farther. If he is saying, do not be anxious about our life, is he indicating to us that there is a choice in the matter? That we can be anxious, or we can choose not to be anxious. We can overcome our feelings through the Spirit of God. Many will tell us, I cannot control how I feel. And I reject that. Because I do believe we can control how we feel, right? Because the Bible says we can. Now, again, this may be very difficult for some to hear this morning. Maybe you've never heard it before. But let me prove it to you. Let me show you by the text we'll look at this this morning. He says, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, and what you will put on. He says, is not life more than food, and, and the body more than clothing? For look, the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, again saying the same thing, on what we shall eat, or what we shall drink, or what we shall wear. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you are in need of them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, once again, verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It appears to me that Jesus is saying, you can be anxious about these things if you so desire, or you can trust me to provide these things. Now again, let us be balanced in our theological approach. He is saying that those who I I have called to be followers of Christ, like each and every one of us, he will provide based on the promises that he has made to you and I to supply all of our needs. So then let us trust him to do so. But here's the problem with many today. It's not the needs that they want supplied, it's their wants that they want supplied. They believe that they need a certain quality of life, a certain standard in life, before they can personally be happy. But Jesus is saying, I will provide everything you need, and if 
Well, if I don't provide it, then probably you don't need it. I'm still praying for that Corvette. I even showed my wife how to do it. There's a wife who bought her husband a Corvette for his birthday, so I forwarded her the video on how to do it. Uh, Still to no effect. Um, But I'm praying. No, obviously, I'm saying this facetiously. But one thing I had to say to the Lord, it's like, I can't serve you, Lord, and everything else. I can't serve you and mammon. I can't serve you and everything else that's in this world. I can't do it. Does that mean that I negate the responsibilities of being a husband, a father, uh, and so forth? No, not at all. But I subject all of those things to the provisions of Christ. And you know what? He's provided for everything that we have ever needed. And then some. I feel incredibly blessed. I do. But why worry about these things? Why grow anxious over these things? In those things that I cannot control, isn't it better to simply trust God who's in control of all things? Rather than taking them and being so anxious about all of these things that I'm tearing myself up inside. Now, was this just a simple principle that Jesus laid down for his disciples here in Matthew chapter 6? Or is it something that the New Testament church practiced? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, if you will. And I believe that I can clearly substantiate that Christians practice this too. As Paul wrote to the Philippian church in chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, Notice with me, starting in verse 5. When it comes to dealing with distractions and contending with anxiousness that may be pulling us apart inside, Did Jesus just simply mean this and was this metaphorical or was it simply a rebuke initially in Matthew 6? Or was it a principle in which the early church lived by? Let us look in chapter 4 of verse 5. Let us begin actually in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. This is Paul writing to a Gentile church in Philippi. Again, I will say rejoice. And let your reasonableness or your gracefulness be known to everyone. For the Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that exactly what Jesus just said numerous times in Matthew chapter 6? Now let me give you a little context for color. The Philippian church was under persecution. They were losing their homes, their personal wealth all their materialism. They were losing their uh, statute in life. They were losing their demographic positions due to their persecutions because they were being arrested and thrown into jail. And in the Greek here, he is speaking to people who are on the uh, precipice of these events taking place. So they're growing anxious inside, knowing what is yet about to possibly happen into their lives. And so he reassures them, hey, rejoice in everything, knowing that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is with you, and the Lord one day will return for you. 
Let's put it in the context that it should be, Paul is saying. But then he clearly tells these people, and some would lose their life for the Christian faith. He's saying, be anxious not. That's what it says in the Greek. It's a command. He is commanding them not to be anxious. So if it is true that we cannot control our emotions or our anxieties, how in the world can Paul command us to stop? He can't, guys. He can't say that to us. All of us experience worry, fear, and anxiety from time to time. It is part of our fallen nature to to do so. But throughout the New Testament, the Spirit of God raises us above the fallen nature. Now, am I just reading into this? Is he simply saying to these individuals, do not be anxious or be anxious not? And then he gives a qualifier afterwards. He says, about anything. Nothing. I don't care what it is on the horizon. Don't be anxious about it. Don't. But how? How, Lord? How do I get past that feeling? How do I uh, just give it to you? How do I do this? Well, he he tells us very clearly how to do it. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is prayer. These are different aspects of prayer. The word prayer there can mean also praise. Supplications means praying for your own personal needs. Thanksgiving means to be thankful for what God has blessed you with up until that point. And he says, let your request be made known to God. And if he just left it there, we could then just say, okay, well, I'm going to pray about it, but there's still the possibility that I'm going to be contentious and I'm going to be anxious. And in verse 7, notice what he says here. Paul writing to these Christians in Philippi, and the peace of God which surpasses all All understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the supernatural aspect of it. This piece he is qualifying by saying it is from God directly. And it doesn't make any sense from our perspective. Our circumstance would warrant a natural reaction of worry, fear, and anxiousness. But God, since we have in prayer given Him these things, made our requests known to Him, given these uh, concerns to Him, He then imparts to us a peace that surpasses all of our personal understanding. And that peace does two things. It guards our hearts and our minds. This is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and God in your life. And he says, I promise that I will give this to you. But it is based on the foundation of trust. Will you trust me enough to allow me to impart to you the peace that surpasses all understanding? Do you know me well enough 
that you will allow me to impart to you the peace that surpasses all understanding. The word guard there is one of the most significant words in that entire verse. It means standing fortified as a legion of soldiers before your heart and your mind, that your mind therefore cannot wander into different places and cause further anxiety and worry. We don't ever do that, do we? Blow things up in our mind. I'll never forget when the internet started offering self-diagnostics, you know. Check your symptoms to see what you have. Ooh, we're going to be such a help to you. You know, and I type in my symptoms at any given time to see if I should go to the doctor or not. And I always would come up, you have dengue fever, you have three hours to live, get your affairs in order, you know. And then your mind starts running with all these crazy thoughts and notions. No, part of what the peace of God will do is protect your mind from these things. But also your heart. Because worry, anxiety, and fear will often, often tempt you to turn your heart against God. Say, God, you're just not fair. Why would you allow this to happen? Oh, Lord, I don't understand this, but this is just too painful for me to go through. If you were truly a good God, you would never allow this to happen. Why am I such, under such a weight of you know, pessimism or whatever it may be, Lord? This is too much for me to bear. Paul says this will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But then he goes on in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be in you. In verses 8 through 9, I see here very clearly that the only way for me to do that as a believer in Jesus Christ, to meditate on these things, is to saturate my mind with the Word of God. To allow me to meditate on those things that are true and what is ever honorable, etc., and just. Martha gave up her opportunity. She was riddled by all of these other things. She was distracted and pulled away. That distraction caused anxiety and worry to just flood her heart and her mind. And she became critical of her own sister, who seemed to be neglecting the responsibilities that she was bearing in and of herself. And yet Jesus said to her, no, it is better for Mary right now. And this is the good thing. And this is what I will not tell her to cease doing. Martha missed that moment. How much do we miss because we're pulled in so many different directions by the distractions of life? How many of you have come to church this morning and find your mind torn in several different directions because of the absolute difficulties that the circumstances of life have brought you? And yet, you can see here this morning that if you would allow those things to distract you to the point that you've become anxious and worried and fearful, and therefore you start tuning out what's being said, you would have missed everything that God would want to have said to you this morning. These are real emotions. 
and fear and worry and, and anxiety. These are real emotions. But Jesus said that this, in often in many cases, is a lack of faith. He said it, not me. Paul said that the anxiousness that we experience, we can choose not to be experienced by taking these things to God and trusting Him with them. And then allow the peace that surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts and minds. Here's the question I have for you this morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this morning? Because that may be what's keeping you from what God has for you. Just as the children of Israel came to the land of promise... And they, they stood there on the precipice of entering into the land and the spies went in and ten came out and said, no way, two said, came out and said, yeah, we can do it. But because of unbelief, they didn't go into the land in which God had called them to go into. How often is it that we keep God's promises from us because we simply don't believe them? That we don't believe Jesus is sufficient. That we don't believe that the word of God is sufficient any longer. And yet then we're riddled with fear and worry and anxiety over things we cannot control. But our Heavenly Father can, can't He? And our Heavenly Father knows what's best for us, doesn't He? It's a heavy topic, but I believe that Martha missed out on something great. And I would hate for each and any, any one of you to miss out on something great when God would simply say, trust me. Trust me. And you exercise and you manifest that trust by praying over it. My wife and I have decided never to try never to go to bed without praying together. And in the last several months, I have seen God meet us in ways that we haven't seen before. As we're just simply praying on the couch together as a family as a husband and wife. And I realize that I believe in God and I believe in His sufficiency. Does that mean I don't go to doctors? No, don't do that. That's something that the world does. They want to throw us to the other extreme. No, of course I go to a doctor. Luke was a doctor for, for Pete's sakes. Does that mean all medication is wrong? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying to you that before we run to these things, maybe we just need to take a step back and look at our own heart and see if we're going through all kinds of motion and we have no devotion. Or do we have all this devotion but we have no motion and we're not, not, you know, bringing into the body of Christ that which we need to bring into the body of Christ. Take a step back and ask yourself the Lord, uh, ask yourself the Lord, uh, the Lord this question. Lord, search my heart and ask me, do I really believe your word? Do I really, really believe your word? And then find out how many of the anxieties and the fears and the worries God can dissipate from your heart. Because as I read it here, it is a promise made to each and every person who will do just this. And then see where you stand. Then see what you're contending with. And then take it with the Lord from there.